Welcome to the Inside Southwest Florida Football Podcast. Presented by the News Press and Naples Daily News. Hello and welcome to the Inside Southwest Florida Football Podcast. I'm Justin Levy, joined by my colleagues Dan the Man DeLuca and the amazing Alex Martin. We got a jam-packed episode, so let's get into it, uh, starting with a game that you both were at this week. It's not every day. A local team is on ESPNU, let alone uh, winning that game. But before we get into what happened on the field, I'm kind of interested in the production, the atmosphere, all that stuff. Dan, what did you see on Friday? The thing about games like this is, you know, at first glance, it just looks like a normal high school football game. But then you notice, you know, cameras are anchored in the stands and the different advertising along the sidelines. And then you get the sense that it's it's something bigger than that. And I thought it was a really cool atmosphere, especially for the people off the field, because, you know, we don't think of those people as having an integral part of high school football games, the band director, the cheerleaders, the people doing the concessions but they're all like an integral part of it. And it was a really special night for them to kind of be part of that production. So I thought that was cool. Memo to ESPN, maybe don't schedule home games in Florida in uh, September. Maybe kind of wait uh, for those to October because it was unfortunate the game got delayed as long as it did. I I, I think, you know, some people eventually gave up and kind of went home. So I think that kind of held down some of the attendance a little bit, but they did get the game played. So that was was fortunate was a little worried about that and all in all it'll it'll be a night that you know all the people involved in it will never forget yeah no alex what time did it all wrap up oh man i mean if i had to go back to my twitter timeline it, it ran pretty late if i recall correctly my official time i had it ending at 123 a.m wow. <laughs> um not the latest game i've been a part of but the latest football game yes um i'm back in may I didn't leave Hammond Stadium for that state championship game with Island Coast until quarter to five in the morning. Um, that game ran really late. But yeah, it was a, a pretty interesting game. I mean, there were four lightning delays, I think. The, well, I think the ESPN broadcaster suggested that Lehigh change their name to the Lehigh Blue Skies. But it was, uh, it was a good game, I think. Um, you know, Richard Young had his best game of his career, on, and it's only fitting it came on national television career high in rushing yards i had him at 285 espn had him at 285 as well or 283 i think and um lehigh had him at 302 so i mean nonetheless um, a season high for him a career high for him and definitely a game that i think that he needed lehigh needed moving forward here in the short term yeah this team was really under pressure with an own two start and it, it just seems like richard just has another gear in a game like this yeah, without question, and and we, I mean, we talked about the potential zero and three start. It would have been inexplicable having the best player in Southwest Florida. You start zero and three, that just that just can't happen. But they avoided that. Funny enough, they got two practices in that went like two thirds of the way in. You know, so they didn't even get a full session in this past week, and there was some worry on the Lehigh sideline, like you know, are we going to get blown out here because we haven't practiced all week? Nonetheless, they fended off Lake Gibson. They did have their issues, though, in, in the secondary. That could be attributed to Kelton Henderson, who was suspended for the contest. Not sure the duration of the suspension if he'll be back this week. But nonetheless, you, you could feel his presence, especially on the defensive side of the ball, was missed Friday night with Lake Gibson's number one going for about 225 and three touchdowns. 
I did talk to Lehigh head coach James Chaney after the game, specifically about Richard's performance. Here's what he had to say, and of course it's not a surprise to him. He imposed his will, man. He's a 200-pound-plus he's, he's kid who, who can run the football, who has speed, you know, to burn. And uh, he's the ultimate weapon. And, uh, man, I'm, I'm just I'm extremely happy and proud, you know, of what he did tonight. Good to hear from Coach Cheney. And let's take a look at the, this uh, slate of games. There was a lot of shutouts, a lot of overtime games this week. Dan, what's a result that stood out to you? Uh, I think Dunbar taking down Vero, 44-27. to Vero's defense, you know, they were able to kind of overcome giving up a lot of yards, a lot of points. Uh, the Port Charlotte, uh, a lot of yards to Lehigh, not a lot of points because Lehigh had their troubles inside the red zone. Could not pull off that for a third week in a row against Dunbar. You know, so I, I think that's a problem going forward for Vero that they have to figure out. And Dunbar, I mean, you talk about a team that's really kind of, you know, fixed whatever issues were plaguing them in that kickoff classic when they really didn't look good, didn't perform well against Port Charlotte. They've got it rolling right now. David Perkins ran for four touchdowns in that game. I saw him the week before against North, and the kid just doesn't go down after first contact. They scored 31 unanswered points against Vero. Just really impressive what they can do on both sides of the ball. Picking up on that, saying that the Vero defense has a problem might be an understatement. I mean, I don't want to say it's a five-alarm fire, but guys, they're allowing 505 yards per game at this point. And, you know, obviously that can get sugar-coated a little bit in terms of, you know, the offense, I guess, compensating um, for some of that. Obviously, they got a pretty high-powered offense that's putting up at least 300 yards a game so far through three games 500 yards allowed um, definitely a problem that needs to be fixed and it's you know it's not going to get any easier these next two weeks with for Vero. they got Gulf Coast coming in then they got First Baptist and um, it's not like Olsen Pat Henry didn't have a field day last year against the Vero secondary eight catches I think for 122 and a pair of touchdowns I'm very curious to see what Vero team shows up this week, especially on the defensive side, if they can limit Connor Barrett's touches and kind of hold him in check. At this point, I'm not sure. You'd mentioned Olsen Henry and, and First Baptist. Um, Alex, can you tell me a little bit about their overtime win against Cardinal Mooney? Well, let's just say they were shorthanded. Ethan Crossan was out with an ankle. Brody Jamison hurt himself up at Chardon on Saturday. So, I mean, there were definitely some uh, problems or some holes that needed to be filled. For those uh, who have been in the area for a while, you guys would remember Rich Mellion was the freshman quarterback for First Baptist, a player of the year finalist back then. He actually uh, took quite a few snaps under center um, in this one, threw four times for 72 yards and a touchdown. Uh, One of them went to uh, Olsen Henry. Ty Keller did get most of the snaps out of the backfield there under center. He threw for, it looks like, just over 100 yards you know Olsen Henry has pretty much carried them Friday night he had eight catches for 155 absolutely ridiculous stat line for him moving forward and you know obviously you know he's a focal point in their offense I'm sure First Baptist would like to have some sort of balance um, you know especially right now with just the limited playmakers I'd be very curious at this point see if Rich Million returns to the offensive side after switching the linebacker this offseason and 
maybe seeing uh, him back in the fold after leading them in all-purpose yards last year. Another team that managed an overtime win last week was Ida Baker, edging one out over Mariner 31-28 with a Jaden Danis field goal. Mike McDonald got a big kickoff return for a touchdown in that one. Dan, any other results that got your attention? Gulf Coast yeah. improving to 3-0. Checking the records might be for the first time in their history. It likely is. And, and they beat a you know pretty good Port Charlotte team. Port Charlotte's probably one of the better one and two teams in Southwest Florida. You know, held that offense to 23 points. Was able to get their running game going with Connor Barrett rushing for over 100 yards. So Gulf Coast is really, and this was their first full game because their first two wins were kind of weather-shortened games. So really put together a full fourth quarter effort uh, and looking like they have kind of a balanced offensive attack and defensively to hold that team you know to 23 points that's impressive and another team improving to three and O's Estero beating Cypress Lake 31 to 16 doing it a lot of it on the ground 264 rushing yards that they, they turned the ball over uh, seven times you wouldn't know that from from the final score. That's a, a really impressive result for them, and they'll be heading to Island Coast this week. Yeah, how about uh, Astero? Who who said they couldn't get transfers? You know, I, I didn't expect uh, Malik Allen to come over from South, but nonetheless, he did, and they got their running back at least for the next two plus seasons, including this one. So nearly three seasons. Yeah, because uh, you know transfers can't play in the spring game. It didn't you know wasn't aware of him then, but yeah, he's he's having a, an amazing start for the Wildcats. Yeah, definitely much needed after uh, Kendrick Aguinor graduated. Astero's first three and and0 start in quite a while. That's a pretty encouraging sign. Another result that I'd like to touch on: Naples only beat Immokalee twenty-eight nothing, guys. Obviously, it was the conditions down in Collier County. None of us were down there, but. We heard about the conditions. It was sloppy. Maybe not Chicago Soldier Field sloppy on Sunday. Naples fumbled the ball three times, had two punts blocked. Definitely the conditions weren't favorable there for both sides. I think a lot of people coming into this one expected Immokalee to get running clocked, just especially just given where that program's been over the past few years. But nonetheless, I mean, uh, James Delgado and I'm kind of keeping this one close keeping Naples at bay 21 nothing I think after at halftime and they only scored seven in the second half so got to be a encouraging sign even though it was a loss uh, for Redwood another encouraging win was SFCA getting in the win column behind an incredible performance from quarterback Eli Moore rushing for five touchdowns I think uh, close to 200 rushing yards more than 200 passing yards that's a, a really good performance by him and definitely for them to get their first win of the season After this break, we are going to look ahead to the slate of games we have coming this week. Keep up with the action every week by following our live Friday night scoreboard at NaplesNews.com, News-Press.com, and by downloading the Naples Daily News and News Press apps onto your mobile devices. Welcome back. Now we're going to talk about some of the content we have coming out this week, and we've talked about this tough schedule that... Bishop Rowe had to start the season and we weren't sure when that 300th win was coming for the program but it came last week against Lehigh. Uh, Dan can you tell me a little bit about what you're working on in there? Sure. It uh, came a little earlier than I expected, so uh, still working on it. Hope to have this project out pretty soon, but it's just a look back at Vero. You know, 300 wins is an impressive standard. There's only two other teams in Lee County that have had that many 
wins as football programs obviously Fort Myers which is closing in on 700 and North Fort Myers which is you know just over 300 307 308 somewhere in that point so to to be uh, at that level uh, for Vero is is something to be celebrated and something to be remembered so I'm just kind of doing a look back through Vero's history looking at some of the more memorable players the most memorable seasons kind of the teams that were a little bit unforgettable for Vero and you know it's interesting when you look Vero was the first Lee County team to play for a state championship in 1990 but they were not just like a one and done team and in the five-year period between 1990 and 1994 they went to three state semifinals two state championship games in 1990 and 1994 of course uh, since Lee County doesn't have a state champion, you know, they lost both of those games. But in 1990, they came as close as any team has to winning that state championship. They were up 14-0 on Bowles. Bowles beat them 17-14. There was a controversial clipping penalty against Vero in the fourth quarter. It took a touchdown off the board. They were held out of the end zone, and they ended up losing by three points, a game that everyone, you know, at the time – expected that they would win because Bowles is a, sort of a legendary program now, but in 1990, they weren't yet. They weren't, you know, at that level. So uh, Vero, you know, was, was the team expected to win, just couldn't get it done. And uh, looking back at some of the players Vero's had, they had a player in Dwayne Thomas, running back, who probably has the most unbreakable single-season record in Lee County history, 2,672 rushing yards in 1990 in 13 games, 41 touchdowns. Uh, so just think about that. That's more than three touchdowns a game. Uh, with the way that teams have gone to throwing the ball now, I, I don't know that anyone will ever really come close to those numbers again. So this project is just going to kind of take a look at, you know, the history of Vero football and kind of highlight some of the points in time along their way to the 300 wins. Awesome stuff. I know you've been uh, putting in some hard work there, so I'm really looking forward to it. Newspapers.com is, is my friend. Before we get into the week four games, I, I want to you know look at where we are right now with some of these 3-0 teams. Talk about who's a contender, who's a pretender. So the teams that are 3-0, Gulf Coast, ECS, Estero, Dunbar, Canterbury, and we have Baron Collier at 2-0. Alex, what are your thoughts on this group of teams? Definitely a mixed bag. Estero is one who... Despite being undefeated, they're you know they're the underdog in their district. Rose has emerged as a pretty distinct and clear favorite. Dunbar, if they can get past Fort Myers this week, I think that would mean a lot towards the end of the season. Um, I think if they win tonight, they're pretty much looking at a district title. Obviously, got to get past South. You know, we saw them get blown out 38 nothing Friday night to North. So Dunbar has emerged as a favorite in the district. Baron Collier, kind of one of the more interesting teams one of the enigmas they're going to still be an underdog in the district you know getting past naples has been the problem for them um and it'll continue to be this year i think Uh, i'd say a mixed bag Uh, ecs is one who i mean they're one win away at this rate from winning a district title they're halfway there um if they can get past sfca um they're looking at uh district championship in mac mitchell's first year so that'd be pretty encouraging for them Dan, any of these teams uh, surprise you with their start? Just from the way they looked in the kickoff classic, I think the way that Dunbar has won these games, I mean, they've been pretty dominant in this start. I think that's been a little bit of a surprise um, and just kind of shows that, you know, maybe those kickoff classics, you don't really get as much valid information out of them as as you think at the time. But I think out of this group, they're kind of 
clearly head and shoulders above the rest, but ECS might be in the best position uh, as far as to, to win a district championship. I know a lot of people were kind of looking at Moorhaven, seemed like that they were on the rise and that was going to be a team that was going to be in the mix. ECS already has a win against them, so it's really going to come down to them and SFCA, and, and the Sentinels have played some pretty good football so far this year. Absolutely. And I might add, I mean, Gulf Coast is a team that I mean, they're undefeated. Just looking at the schedule from here on out, regardless of win or loss this week against Faroe, I think they can run the table and win their final five. Um, Palmetto Ridge, Cypress Lake, West Broward, Immokalee, Barron. That would be one heck of a, a season for Todd Nichols and company. I mean, at the minimum, 8-1, and one, maybe 7-2, and two, maybe 9-0. and oh. That would be a pretty noteworthy season for Todd Nichols in year three and um, just seeing what he's been able to build in such a short time, I think that would be pretty special for him. Yeah, the thing that stands out to me about the Sharks is that maybe some of the, the games didn't go their way last year, but they brought back so much experience, especially with quarterback Connor Barrett. It's funny you mentioned that because I had a chance to catch up with Todd Nichols um, before the preseason game uh, against Naples, and he was talking about, you know, these seniors – are the co- are pretty much the COVID kids that were forgotten. And they are. They were. They were freshmen in 20. A lot of them, they didn't get a spring ball. So they didn't really get to build and grow their game uh, heading into year two. But that's not the case uh, these past few years. And, and now, now everybody knows who these kids are, especially guys like Joe Miller and, and Hiram Deucenup and, and Henry Takis, Mikey Justo. Everybody knows who they are now. It's kind of a unique story, I'd say. That fan base, I know they travel well, so that's going to be a really fun one at Faro this week. Another thing I, I wanted to talk about, we're three weeks into the season before things start to blur together and you can't see straight. I wanted to ask you guys, what is the best play you've seen so far this season? Well, I got to think about that one. It's definitely Madrid Tucker. I just don't know which one. Uh, I mean, I've seen Fort Myers play twice this season, once in the kickoff classic against Baker, once in the overtime loss in North Fort Myers. By far, he was the best player on the field in both of those games. I'd have to say was the play, and it wasn't an offensive play, even though he's had plenty of those, was when he chased down Bo Somerset, knocked the ball out, ended up going through the end zone and helped send that game to overtime. Now, of course, North Fort Myers came back uh, and won that game despite not scoring an offensive touchdown in regulation Bo Somerset ran one in in overtime first of all the speed to catch up with Bo and then the the idea not to give up on the play knock the ball out I think that really showed something uh, about Madrid Tucker yeah and uh, Bo was actually the one who inspired the segment for me seeing a play last week in the team's shutout win against South Fort Myers Bo is the team's punter he's 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 everything for for the Red Knights Uh, it was a fake punt play the snap was pretty errant but he was able to wrangle it, spin around, and throw the perfect pass for a 48-yard touchdown to Jordan Carr. It was incredible. That's what what these kind of players can do. Alex, is there a play that comes to mind for you? Yeah, I mean, it's a little tricky. The one that, obviously, recency bias could play a factor. Richard Young's second run of the game against Lake Gibson was a 90-yarder. I thought that one was pretty pretty noteworthy naples had a kind of had a block punt where it just uh just kind of went right into kendrick Raphael's hands against lehigh in the first week i mean that one was pretty interesting um but it, but if i had to say one it, it'd be um the 90 yard run just uh, just especially how early on that was you can just tell he was richard was running with a um a different tone a different attitude this time but yeah I, i'd have to go with that one 
on that note, let's get into some of these Week 4 games. Um, and starting with Lehigh, they'll be going to Riverview. Alex, do you think they can go to 500? Lehigh? Um, yes, I, I think they would. Definitely a favorable matchup. Got a, a pretty depleted Riverview team that's only managed 20 points in three games. They do have a fringe five-star prospect in Charles Lester, um, who's getting just the same looks as Richard did. Lehigh could probably win this one. I think they need to. Um, getting back to 500 would go a long way for them, I think, especially here in the midway point of the season. One night you'd have Baker, um, they'd have Charlotte. So I think I think definitely a winnable one for them on the road here. And Dan, what's a game that stands out to you? Uh, I'd have to say Fort Myers and Dunbar. I mean, anytime these teams get together, you know, they put together some real memorable games. And uh, Dunbar's won five of the last six against the Green Wave, which, you know, not many teams can say. These games can get pretty heated. I remember a game from about 12 years ago, maybe, where Fort Myers players swung a helmet, ended up making contact with an official, got suspended. I, I mean, there's all sorts of things, you know, that go down in Fort Myers in Dunbar games and not not only on the field so it should be a real interesting atmosphere and really one I'm looking forward to seeing if you know Fort Myers is really can kind of bounce back from that 0-2 start put together good showing and if Dunbar can keep uh can keep their unbeaten streak alive yeah it's pretty crazy uh unbeaten in the regular season um I don't know how many games it is now it's two years uh, it's pretty incredible yeah fun fact Miles Garrett would have been a freshman in high school 12 years ago Dan so it could have been him that was swinging the helmet <laughs> I'm not sure if it was him. I vaguely remember it was a tight end for Fort Myers that had transferred in. I uh, can't remember the name right now. Uh, one of the officials who worked that game actually used to work at the news press at the time. So we were able to get a little bit of the inside story on him. But it, it just kind of shows that these these games really get heated. You have kids from the same neighborhood, kids that play Pop Warner, either together or on opposing teams, carry those rivalries forward. And, y- you know, they make for fun games. And some of the other games we're looking at, we, we touched on these undefeated teams, and some of them have a chance to extend that streak. Estero at Island Coast, Gulf Coast at Bishop Row, that's a really fun one. Baron Collier at Benita Springs. Uh, Alex, any one of those that uh, you're excited about? I mean, I'm excited about Gulf Coast Faro. I think. There's potential to see both teams flirt with 40. I know both teams are eclipsing 30, I think. I think that goes without saying. Baron Benita is a, a, kind of an interesting matchup. Two different styles, really. You got the pretty much... The Josiah Sessler offense um, against the um, kind of a, a spread offense in Baron Collier, which which can do both, uh, pass and run. Brody Graham kind of leading the receiving core, and then you got Brian Daniels, who is averaging over 10 yards a carry right now and has over 300 yards rushing. I think that'll definitely be a tall order for Benita to stop. I've seen crazier things happen uh, in high school football. A lot to look forward to, and when we return, we are going to share our picks for these games. For more in-depth analysis of high school football in Lee and Collier County each week, go to NaplesNews.com and News-Press.com. Let's just do it, okay? Follow us on Instagram at News Press Sports and NDN Prep Zone. We're here for the final segment of today's pod. It is picks time. Pretty good week for all of us, I'd say. But officially, Dustin Levy will be the returning champion. Dan and I both went eight and two with misses on Port Charlotte and Bishop Vero. Dustin went nine and one with a miss on Port Charlotte. So we all picked the Pirates. Um, they let us down. Um, so maybe we won't be picking them again. What do you What do you say? 
Well, all I care about is that the Tigers put me ahead. So yeah. thanks. Yeah, Dunbar. Um, I should have known better. Um, you know, Vero's defense uh, allowing that much should have been a red flag, and, and I kind of took the bait on it. But um, you know, that's week three. We're we're in week four now. Pretty decent slate across the board. A lot of local matchups. Could try to keep it that way so people know. But um, starting it out, Baron Collier Benita Springs. Um, I'll be at that game. My first game at uh, Lee Health Stadium. So uh, pretty excited for that one. Uh, but Dustin, I'm going to start it with you. Um, two games in five days-ish for the Bull Sharks, even though it was only, I think, a half or so. But just your thoughts on this one. So Baron Collier dropped 37 on IMG Blue. They dropped 35 on Palmetto Ridge. I really like, you know, what Benita's done to start this year. But um, Sessler's numbers are insane. But I like the Cougars in this one. Yeah, um, Baron Baron shouldn't really have many issues here, if at all, um, on the offensive side of the ball. I mean, heck, even their two games on defense are pretty encouraging. I think it's, what, 20 points-ish in, in the two games. I think eight against Palmetto Ridge and 13 against IMG Blue. People don't remember that IMG Blue game was cut at halftime. So um, Baron would have been on pace to score 74 or – you know, somewhere in the neighborhood. Um, I'm also taking Baron. Um, I think pretty easy here, Dan. Um, are you going to take Benita? Or? Well, I think the thing that's interesting about Benita is they're going to try to control the clock. They're going to try to limit Baron Kyer's offensive possession. So when Baron does have the ball, they really have to take advantage of it. You have a fumble, you have an, uh, some other type of, you know, some penalties, some mistakes, you waste the possession. You're not going to get, you know, your normal amount of possessions when you're playing a team like Benita. Uh, that said, I, I think Baron Collier, you know, will be able to win the battle up front. They'll be able to figure out, you know, Sessler in that offense, and Baron will win the game. It's funny you say that because I I was at a game last year where it was kind of the same strategy, and that was North Fort Myers against Dunbar. A 7-3 game, you know, very low scoring. But, man, uh, North would chew up what felt like six to eight minutes per possession. And um, I imagine Rich Dombrowski is going to try and ha- replicate that kind of formula. But if they're playing from behind, it's going to be kind of a, d- a different ball game. Whoever wins the coin toss, I think, will be able to set the tone and dictate the game uh, kind of how they want to. Um, Barron wins. Um, I'd expect them to kind of move down the field. Um, if Benita wins, maybe there's two minutes left in the first quarter, um, depending on uh, you know who wins that one. But uh, consensus across the board there for sure. Next game up, Marco Island going to Oasis, guys. Um, this is going to be a, I think, is this an SSAC battle or is this a SSAC versus an independent? Um, nonetheless, two programs that are still trying to rebuild. Dan, your thoughts? I don't have a lot of thoughts, but I'm going to pick Oasis. I'm also going to go with Oasis. Uh, Marco has had scored six points this year, and Oasis has scored 29, so that, that's that's why I'm picking that. Going to use like some college game day logic. I'm picking Oasis because that's a great band, so... <laughs> Um, g- give me, give me the Sharks. Um, you know, I think Jason Green and his team will get a win here. Lehigh going to Riverview for Game Three um, on this ten-game slate. You know, Lehigh lost to Riverview last year, fourteen to two. The teams have obviously kind of changed it up a little bit. Can Lehigh get to five hundred, or are they are they staring at a one and three start after Friday? I think they will get to 500. I was at the the review game last year, and that was closer than the score looked. There was a lot of bad breaks that didn't go the Lightning's way. So I think, you know, if they're disciplined, and especially if Richard can keep it going, uh, I think this is going to be a win for them. It's not like he didn't run for a lot against that team last year. It's just not being able to finish drives. Um, that, 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 was, that was Lehigh's problem against Riverview last year. 
should be an interesting matchup. I, I don't think it'll be the same time around, uh, same result. Um, I'm going to take Lehigh here by about 7 to 10, um, closer than what people think, despite uh, Murphy only scoring 20. You know, when you get a, a five star prospect on the field on both sides, I think it'll make for a good game, Dan. This you know, would shape up as kind of the ultimate trap game, right? You're coming off a national TV game at home, you know, very emotional performance. You can kind of look like you got things turned around and now you're going on the road. I, I think the fact that they lost to Riverview last year, there's a little bit of that revenge factor. And just, you know, the Rams just aren't that good this year. While there might be a little bit of a letdown, I think Lehigh's the more talented team. They'll overcome whatever lack of emotion they might have and they'll win the game go ahead and into game four you could view it as a trap game if you want a stero headed to an island coast team that is feisty that plays well at home and is you know playing in familiar territory here not having to travel to Astero. Astero's got to make the trip up to north cape um dustin i mean i mean can Astero continue this or are they going to be looking at the end of a, a three-game win streak i think they will continue the winning streak because i, I thought last week in cypress lake was going to be a test and it, you know it was they turned the ball over seven times but you know it was still a pretty dominant win on their part uh that was a close game last year their game against island coast was a close game last year so you know all signs point to Astero being an improved team so i like their chances Dan, I mean, it feels like a toss. It honestly feels like a toss-up for whatever reason. And yeah, I think so because it's tough to get a read on Island Coast, right? They've had some some weather shortened games. Yeah, you know, they played Eastleigh County last week. We're down nine zero when that game got suspended. It's going to be made up later this month. Island Coast has some speed. You know, they they really had Riverdale on the ropes in the opening week. Could have won that game. Uh, looking at Astero, three and zero, but those you know the combined records of the teams they've beaten one and seven. So you're not really sure what that is. It, it's kind of tough. Turn, turn the ball over seven times and you still win. Uh, that tells you a little bit of something about the quality of the opponent you're, that you're facing. They can't take advantage of that. I agree with you, Alex. I think it's a toss up, and uh, I'm going to go out on a limb and take the team who was at home. I'll, I think Island Coast wins this. I'm very tempted to join you because I mean. Iowa Coast is a team that's going to ground and pound, and, and Estero is going to be battle-tested here um, in the trenches. Um, it's a game at home for Coast. You know, obviously, um, Estero had a, a letdown on the road last year against Northport, but I think I think Estero ekes one out, and I think it's going to be super close. I think 24-21, or it, it'll probably be decided by a field goal. Um, you know, I, I just think... Both sides are going to be able to kind of have their way here in some areas. I think Island Coast will be able to effectively run the ball. Um, I think Jason Duclon is looking at another game where he scores another touchdown. I think that would extend his streak to four, actually, four straight games at the touchdown. I'm going to take the Wildcats uh, barely, though. Um, Definitely going to be pretty close. Next up, private school battle down in Collier County. CSN going to St. John Newman. Damon Jones facing uh, his former team that he coached uh, in the early 2010s that was CSN. Dustin, kind of tough to get a read on, on Newman. Um, you know, put up six against Canterbury, put up 57 against Bishop McLaughlin. CSN is, you know, uh, three points away from going to 2-0, essentially. Newman, like you said, it's tough. You know, a shutout win, a shutout loss. But I like CSN just because they played this game last year. CSN won, Chase Atterbury threw a touchdown, uh, rushed for one. It'll be close, but I I like the Eagles here. I do as well. Um, CSN is a team that, you know, I think they're going to be, you know, 
trying to build off of last week's loss. It was a close, uh, I think it was maybe 17-13. to 13. Um, CSN was at the one-yard line, essentially, and they, and they got denied at the last play of the game. So nearly another last-second touchdown to put them over the top. Um, the Magic ran out. I don't think they'll need any Magic this week. I have CSN as a pretty pretty big favorite here over Newman. Um, give me the Seahawks. Let, let me apologize real quick there. The Seahawks, not the Eagles. <laughs> we have plenty of other Eagles. Next game, I, I don't have a prediction next to it. I, I genuinely do not know. Riverdale at Mariner. Um, I, let's just say the Tritons, I think, overperformed last week. You know, it took Ida Baker down to the wire. And, and Riverdale's a team that, despite having two D1 guys on their roster, um, they got shut out against Fort Myers last week in, in, at, in a, uh, a half 28 nothing. I mean, Dan, we could start with you here. I mean, can Mariner get back in the win column or is frank help we're going to be um you know taking his team to a, a win out in the cape uh i mean i think mariners performed really well this year I, I mean i think they surprised some people with their start and that game against baker that really could have gone either way and you know baker's got some got some offensive weapons uh and mariner was able to hang with them offensively which is something that i don't think a lot of people would have thought going into the year. I think this is just like Estero and Island Coast. I think it's going to be a real close game. I think it could go either way, uh, but I'm going to take Riverdale. Not so fast, my friend. I am going to take Mariner. My gut just tells me that they're that they're due. I think the Tritons will be able to get one on the board here. You know, last week's loss is a heartbreaker. Is an OT too at home. I think they can rebound. Riverdale is is a team that doesn't really have much of an offense at this rate I think that's you know I think that's a valid point Um, I don't think there's any arguing that you know 25 points against Laley and then um, none against Fort Myers so um, I'm going to take the Tritons I think Justin Lewis will be an x-factor here Um, so I I think you know Mariners going to get the win Dustin yeah you know getting shut out by Fort Myers last week definitely gives me pause however you know we know Fort Myers was desperate for that win. So I think I like Riverdale's chances to rebound and get the win here. Okay. Can't disagree. I mean, that was a a pretty tough game to pick. I'm going to go with the home team, even though they're probably a slight dog. But, um, you know, nonetheless, the next game on the slate, Isaac Harvin kind of going up against a a former team of his. He was an assistant at Cypress Lake, essentially the coach in waiting out at Cape Coral right now. Um, The Seahawks going to – Going to the Panthers, uh, I think it's James Broomhead Stadium. Dustin, I mean, Cypress Lake, Cape Coral, who you got? This is a really tough one to call um, because I I think Cape has beat our expectations to this point. But I'm going to take Cypress Lake here just based on forcing seven turnovers last week. I I think they're going to make it really tough for Cape. Yeah, I mean, Cypress Lake forcing seven turnovers against Estero, kind of encouraging despite the scoreline of them losing by 15. Cape just couldn't get it done on Monday against Benita Springs. I'm also going to take the Panthers here. Joey Mendez is going to get his team back in the win column. Dan? I'm going to go with Cape. Uh, I mean, I think that loss to Benita Springs, it was kind of expected. I think when you look at a young team, you know, with, with two new coaches, it's tough to get your defense prepared for what you're going to see in Benita, just not a traditional offense, especially with limited practice time because of the weather, which all schools are having now at this point. You know, you did four seven turnovers. You only scored 16 points. So that says a little something about your offense, I think. I, I think Cape will just make a few more plays, and I think Seahawks will win. 
consensus across the board there. Oh, actually, no, never mind. Uh -huh. Even though it felt like there could have been. This is a game I have no idea. I put it on the slate just because it's a nationally ranked matchup. It's two hours away from us. South Florida game. American Heritage. Shamanab Madonna. Both teams undefeated. Both teams have five-star prospects on, on both sides. A lot of talent uh, in this matchup. Dan, you did your studying on this one. Which way are you leaning here? Both uh, state championship contenders. Yeah, I, definitely. I mean, two really good teams. I just looked at Chaminade. They're at home, and they just pounded Miami Northwestern. So if you, if you can do that, I, I think you can beat anybody. Uh, so I'm going to go with Chaminade. Yeah, I think Alex puts a game like this on the slate to see if uh, we'll do our research, um, which I did not. But I'm just going to go along with what Dan said and go with Chaminade. It's going to be closer than what you think. Chaminade is a team that's got a pair of five-star wide receivers. Uh, Jeremiah Smith, Josiah Trader. Um, then you got a four-star running back, Davion Goss. American Heritage side, you got five-star wide receiver, Brandon Ennis. Four-star running back, Mark Fletcher. Both are Ohio State commits. Chaminade, I think, is the more complete team. American Heritage has a pretty dang good secondary. Um, and then that'll be on display, uh, I think, two or three weeks from now. Actually, no, it'll probably over a month from now in Naples when they take on the Golden Eagles. I'm also going to take Chaminade here. 1M favorite. There's to lose, safe to say. Um, American Heritage will be competing with Miami Central and 2M. Give me the Lions. Next up, huge district game. Huge district implications. Winner of this um, is very close to a district crown. Dunbar at Fort Myers this time around. Dunbar has not played at Fort Myers, I think, in a couple years. Um, the COVID year kind of screwed everything up. But Dustin, I mean, Fort Myers, Dunbar, rivalry game, um, your thoughts? I really hate picking against Dunbar because it worked out for me last week. But, you know, there's a rule I follow, especially in, you know, gritty district game like this, not to pick against Fort Myers at home. So I'm going to go with the Greenies here. Really? Okay. Dan? Uh, this was a close game last year uh, at Dunbar. Dunbar was able to escape with a win. Uh, like I said earlier in the pod, they've won five of the last six games. I think Fort Myers is better than they were last year. I think they have weapons uh, on offense that they didn't have last year, a little more uh, developed at this point. And uh, I, I think Fort, Fort Myers is definitely the revenge pick here. They're at home. Uh, this would be a huge way to rebound from that 0-2 start, which everyone was talking about. So Dunbar's used some bulletin board material in the past few weeks, so uh, I think Dustin and I were going to give him a little bit because I'm going to pick Fort Myers also. And whether that bulletin board material was crafted by uh, by the folks internally or not, um, you know, I think Dunbar is a favorite here. I'm not going to pick against them. I'm going to take the Tigers. I think they're going to have their way offensively. It'll be a, I think it'll be a good spectacle uh, inside Sam Sirianni Stadium. But I'm going to take the Tigers here in, in hopes of picking up a game against you guys. The winner of this one goes definitely a long way towards winning a title. W what a win it would be for Sam Sirianni senior, uh, Jr., though. Um, if he were to pull it off, um, definitely one step closer to 700. Um, especially with the set schedule they've got here in the second half, Dan. Um, if they were to win this one, I mean, what, what would that kind of mean for the program? 
Well, I mean, I think it would show that they're that they're back in the sense. I mean, they've taken they've taken a little bit of a step back in the area the last few years. Um, but I, I think they're a talented team. I mean, I know we look at Riverdale and we say, oh, Riverdale got shut out against Fort Myers. So what does that mean, you know, against their playing Mariner this week? <laughs> Fort Myers, I think, is a good team. Despite that 0-2 start, they really should have beaten North. Had a lot of things, you know, kind of go weird in that game, which is something that, you know, you kind of shows up in that series from time to time. And, you know, Dunbar is kind Coming on this game with a high, I think they expect to win this game. And I think it's rare you get Fort Myers as an underdog at home against an area team. And I think they're going to take advantage of it. Without question. And um, we'll, we'll see what bulletin board material they can come up with this week over at Dunbar. But next up, our, our game of the week, Gulf Coast going to Bishop Vero. Dustin, you might remember the uh, the social media posts from last year in this game. Oh, now I'm remembering. Um, <laughs> let's just say there's um, no love lost. No love lost at all. Um, I, I bet Connor Barrett's going to be pretty fired up for this one. Um, but you know, I mean, it's going to be a gritty game. It's going to be a. It, I think it's going to be pretty chippy. Um, what say you? I didn't remember that game, but you've reminded me of it, and I know Vero, Vero kind of had their way, so now I'm, now I'm reconsidering my choice. You know what? Let's go with the Sharks for their revenge, just because I, I just, I've just i liked what I've seen from them to start the season. I liked their experience. I, I like their experience on both sides of the ball. I have them winning on the road. I'm 0-2 picking against Vero, and I'm 0-1 picking for them. I mean, Dan, we're, we, I think we've been in consensus these first three weeks your thoughts on the sharks obviously a team that kind of caught us by surprise after not even completing a game in their first two weeks coming into this game if you had asked me last week i I would have picked varro but just those those continuing problems on defense and if you look at the common opponent you look at how gulf coast was able to you know really keep port charlotte that offense which is a talented offense in check last week whereas you know Vero allowed almost 600 yards 49 points did get the win but I think the Gulf Coast defense is better I think Vero is still figuring some things out on that side of the ball and I think if you look at the schedule if you ask coach coach Rode you know at the start of the season hey four games Port Charlotte Lehigh Dunbar Gulf Coast you come out of them two and two, how would you feel? I think at an honest moment, he'd say, I'd take that. So I think that's where Vero's going to be. I think Sharks win this game. It was a pretty weird game last year. Um, Vero went up big early. They, I think they were up 36 to 21 or 36 to, you know, nonetheless, they, they were up by almost 20 down at Gulf Coast um, for the homecoming game. You know, Gulf Coast made a fourth quarter comeback, and that was kind of anchored by Barrett, who had three touchdowns um, he got picked twice Chris Graves is on the field for this one scored twice very very tricky matchup I, I think Vero is going to outscore Gulf Coast in this one I, I just think the second and third pieces in this offense for Vero are too much guys like Tukey Watts and Matthew Turner and Timmy Lawson it, it'd be very tricky to cover all of them you know I think at some point, Vero is going to get their act together on defense. Um, you, you know, they know they have work to do. Um, I think this is a week where they can, I think, make a nice little rebound uh, defensively this week and maybe limit the Sharks here. So that'll wrap things up for the pick segment. Definitely, uh, finally breaking uh, breaking the mold. You know, not a, not as much consensus. Uh, definitely our most. Um, I guess, what, what do you want to call it, diverse week or definitely a, a week where we've seen a lot of splitting uh, off from each other. So could have a new leader in the clubhouse after uh, four weeks. 
Uh, maybe not, but you know, Twitter Spaces will be back for Friday night. Apologies about that for uh, this past week. It was a, uh, a kind of a tricky spot to do one at. It would have been 2.30 in the morning, which would have made no sense. Um, but we'll be back recapping uh, the games in southwest Florida. Um, as always, go to news-press.com slash sports, naplesnews.com slash sports uh, for all your high school content. Um, you know, we got it all. You know, rankings will be coming out here soon uh, from the FHSAA, so that, that'll be pretty encouraging, uh, being able to analyze what their thoughts are. Um, but, you know, for Dan DeLuca, Dustin Levy, I'm Alex Martin. We'll be back next week for Season 5, Episode 6. Thanks for listening. Remember, the Inside Southwest Florida Football Podcast will be available for download every Wednesday at noon to get you ready for upcoming games. One, two, three.